Welcome, everybody. This is Josh Fonger with Work the System. I'm here today with Sam Carpenter. You're there, Sam? I am, Josh. Good morning. Very good. All right, and today we'll be talking about the first 120 days. What happens after you make the shift to uh, chaos, to systems in your mind and in your business, and what you, know, what you should actually do. And we'll be taking you through what Sam did in his business, Centratel, which he still owns today. And this is going to be stuff that you won't actually find in the book. It's going to be beyond that, more detailed, the nitty-gritty, what he would have done differently. And also, I'm going to be talk, talking you through what actually happens with our consulting and coaching clients. So some real-life stories, what they did to make the shift, what the first 120 days look like. So you can really take this information, apply it to your own business, and make your own shift. That's really the goal for us today. And Sam, let's just get started with the before. You know, before you got it, what was the business like? What was your life like? Let's start right there. Well, it was horrible. Uh, long, long work hours, uh, 80 to 100 or more hours a week. Uh, no money, no social life. And that went on for a decade and a half. And uh, it was a nightmare. I just happened to stick through it because I needed to. But it was awful. And you know what? After working with about 200 clients now, no one's ever had as horrible a story as you. I don't know, I don't know if I've told you that, but I mean, they all come in with uh, you know the growth pains of going from a small to medium-sized business. Uh, they're, you know, they're stuck, plateau, mistakes in the business, trying to transfer it to a son or a daughter, you know, all these different uh, issues they're dealing with. Some of them are up to 60, 70, 80-hour work weeks, but uh, so far you have the record, Sam, of, of probably the worst situation to do this in. So that hopefully that's a, um, encouraging to all you listening to this is that um, you probably didn't have it as, ba as bad as Sam, and so therefore there's hope for you. You, you can do this. Uh, very good. All right, so the next step is getting it. So how did you get this mindset shift, Sam? Well, and I won't belabor it, those people who have been following me for a while, or anybody who's read the book knows what that is, but under duress in the middle of the night, I realized that I was seeing my business wrong, I was seeing my whole life wrong, it wasn't a confused mass <laughs> of events and sights and sounds, it was a very logical collection of systems, some of which we're very dysfunctional, and to this day, and that was 16 years ago, 3 o'clock in the morning, middle of one night, uh, when I got it, I haven't wavered in my view of the world because it's more accurate. And so it happened in the middle of the night, and I went down to my office. I was going to lose my business because of a payroll I wasn't going to be able to make, and uh, took a whole new approach. And in a sense, it's a shift. Uh, it definitely is a shift. It's not exactly the shift we're talking about here, but it was a shift in how I saw the world, and it made all the difference. That's, that's a great story. And you know what? Um, unfortunately, I don't get to see that in most the clients I work with. So I only have a couple examples, but uh, usually uh, people I work with have already made the shift maybe six months ago, a year ago five years ago, and they've been following you a long time, Sam, they've, they've tried, they've failed, they, you know, they've, they've mentally realized what they have to do, but they just haven't, haven't done it, or they've tried and just hasn't worked very well. And so the shift has happened mentally, and that's why I'm excited about the, the next uh, steps we're going to go to here, but uh, if you have not made the shift or you've not read the book, certainly go to workthesystem.com, 
get the book, read it, make that mental shift. And uh, just because I'm working with a client recently, um, he did make the shift with me, and it was real fun to watch. He's got a framing company, you know, the, the framing for, for houses, residential houses. And, uh, I mean, he was excited. He was on fire. I think you had the same exact thing as he knew, you know, the next day he was going to go into work. He was going to tell his team how things could be different and uh, paint a, a different picture for the future. And it would actually be realistic, too. It wasn't just pie in the sky. This can actually happen once you get the shift. Uh, all right, We're so talking good. about two shifts here, right? I, we're talking about a shift in your head to know what you need to do, and then especially what we'll emphasize today in our discussion, Josh, is the shift in your life, the business shift, the, the shift from having a, a horrible situation to one where everything's under control and you feel very satisfied, a real-world shift. But, yeah, that first shift has to happen, that mental shift has to happen first. Mm-hmm. Good. All right. Well, let's start with what did that look like at Centratel? So you had the shift in your mind uh, in the middle of the night. You came into work. What were the, the next few week, weeks like in your business? Well, to convince my people that we needed to go about this in a different way, because I got down to the office and I said, hey, to my two managers, we need to look at this business in a different way. You know we're going to lose it if we don't do something. They said, we'll do anything. <laughs> I said, well, let me ask you a question. What's our biggest problem? The answer was from my two managers, each of them was, well, so the, the clients are unhappy, the staff's unhappy, and it's a mess. <laughs> no, 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 I said. No, take it apart. Now, what does, uh, what does putting the payroll together have to do with hiring somebody? And I went through the whole thing of comparing the individual systems of the business, which really did not relate to each other. Yes, they were connected, but they didn't relate. I said, here's my idea, and I went through uh, a scenario. Uh, of our deposit procedure, which, again, I talk about that in the book, and then we created a language for our TSRs, uh, a separate system. Both of those are separate systems, but especially what we did was we started on the strategic objective and the operating principles and right away started on the working procedures for the aforementioned uh, deposit procedure and language for the TSRs, but we started with the uh, strategic objective. In the middle of that night, I knew what the documents needed to be. They, there needed to be three documents, one to give us direction, another one to uh, lay out the ground rules, and another one the specific systems that needed to be described so everybody was doing them the same way. But that's what I did in that first week or two started those processes. Perfect. And that, that's... Uh exactly what we do with the coaching and consulting clients. We do it by the book. And uh, it starts with a strong foundation, strategic objective, operating principles. And, you know, the value of those documents um, is basically zero if you don't use them. And that's really the, the big challenge for making the shift in your business is, you know, taking a, a strategy that is uh, scalable, that aligns with your unique selling point, that aligns with your um, customers, that aligns with your the assets, the elements of your business. And if you don't actually you know, write that strategy properly and you don't actually follow through with it, then the, the strategic objective and the operating principles really are they're useless. And so that's, that's the big thing. And, you know, the, what comes to mind because of its recency is I was working with a dentist just last week in St. Louis, and he wrote these documents. He actually wrote these before I showed up, and nothing had happened in his business. So what we had to do is take those documents and 
use them, right? Actually uh, leverage all the information that's there, all the good ideas, and we were able to uh, let go of a problem employee because she didn't align with the operating principles that had to do with teamwork. We were able to um, get rid of some excess uh, technology because it didn't align with his um, his idea of being streamlined and using the, the newest technology and the newest equipment. He had some outdated equipment that he couldn't let go of. That freed up $60,000. He had to uh, abide by his uh, operating principle that, that had to do with time management and being uh, you know, following the clock. And his staff really had gotten lazy with, re- with regards to following the clock. We made some shifts in the way they handled their punch-in and punch-out procedure. That was $30,000. So each one of these elements that were in the strategic objective and operating principles had to actually be lived out, had to actually be put into the fabric of the business. And most people just glaze over that. They say, I have these documents. Now let's start doing the procedures. Let's figure out how to answer the phone. Let's figure out how to deposit the check. Let's figure these things out. But they don't realize the value in setting their company up on a foundation where they can actually use systems where the bottlenecks are removed, where they can actually leverage it. And that, that is really powerful. I mean, I think, Sam, you referenced your strategic objective as the million-dollar document. I mean, without that, nothing else would have happened. So tell me a little more. How did you actually use your strategic objective and operating principles? How did you use those in the, in the beginning? Well, first of all, yeah, let's talk about that. But I think it's important to say that having some successes gives the leader the enthusiasm to actually use these documents. So I know one thing we do, Josh, with our consulting and you do with the coaching is you get people to have some small successes. And so I talked about the deposit procedure here. We we had that straightened out in three days and there we were excited. And then I was really excited about doing the strategic objective and the operating principles and documenting these things. I was really, really excited about it. And I like to use the term boring but true to uh, describe the document on on the first look at it, the first look at it, boring, boring, but it's true that it really, really works. And then the other is that, you know, we went to work on these things with my hyper-enthusiasm soon caught on to the other people, and they got hyper-excited about it. And we plowed through them as if they were coming down, I like to say, on a conveyor belt, one process after another. And, of course, the key is to see this business as a collection of separate systems. So I'm not sure if I answered your question exactly because I got caught up in the enthusiasm part, Josh. Did I get to it? Well, I think I think that is that is key. And uh, you're right. If you don't get a couple wins early on, people will go back to status quo. Can you tell me more about the document? Because your strategy in that strategic objective is, uh, you know, it's scalable. It uh, directly aligns with uh, what makes you unique, and it was able to you know, bring your team together. And how did your team react to that? Those documents? Did they just uh, roll their eyes, or did they they buy into that? Oh, right. Right. There at the beginning, we were doing all three of the documents at the same time, and uh, while we were doing the working procedures for the deposit procedure and for the language for the TSRs and a couple of other things, I was quickly putting together a strategic objective and the operating principles. And I had them input. I said, this is my idea. We ought to have an overview of where we're headed and what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are, what we don't want to get involved with. And we ought to have a document of the rules of the road 
and what do you think? And I had I got feedback from my two managers, and then I put them out there. I put them out there, and I kept going back to them in meetings. And this is important as we get rolling, and I know you agree with this, Josh, is that you, you uh, in your consulting job, go in there, uh, consulting and coaching jobs, go in there and say, look, this is, this is how we agreed to do this. In fact, it's right in this document, in the meetings you have with staff. It's right in the document. See it over here? And pretty soon everybody catches on. The leader has to go back to the documents over and over, and that's what I did at the beginning. I went back to them over and over, and they finally got it that this wasn't just some fly-by-night idea that Sam had. This was real serious stuff. But it is up to the leader to keep those three documents front and center. So how about 60 days in? So your strategic objective is done, operating principles are done, you're, you're using them, uh, you're leveraging the information there into your team, and then you have some of the early wins. What happened 60 days in? By 60 days, we were in full steam. Everybody was excited. It took 60 days to realize I was serious about this. It took 60 days to see that it worked. Well, it didn't really. It took about a week to see that it could work. But after we had done a half a dozen different working procedures and we were abiding by the strategic objective and the operating principles, we were in high gear. It's so important to make that shift, to make that shift from, oh, this all sounds good, it's feel-good stuff. People read my book and they say, oh, this is what I need to do and this and that. But it's a real shift to get to the place where it's in your guts and you're going to go to work and that's what you're going to do. You're not going to get caught up with fire killing. You're not going to get caught up with personalities. People who aren't going to fit in or are fighting it are going to be leaving. And in 60 days, it's full steam ahead. Uh, and I think we've seen that on all of our jobs we've worked on, Josh. Or not. If there's a leadership dysfunction, we've been on consulting jobs where there was incredible leadership dysfunction. There's no helping that. But I think in your coaching, you've had about 100% success. And I would guess, we didn't talk about it before, but I would guess in 60 days, you're in high gear with with all of your coaching people. That's my that's my guess. Is that right? Yeah, it's definitely right. The reality is, people will you know get sick or go on vacation or fall off the roadmap, but uh, as as long as they they stick with it, I mean they're seeing dramatic results. One one that comes to mind is a software company I'm working with right now, and once the, they got it, two business owners, they got it together, they realized their sales cycle involved both of them, and uh, it was just killing productivity and it was a huge bottleneck and once they were able to take that you know, through their new uh, mindset outside and slightly elevated looking down at the process they were able to chop up the sales process and now only one of them was involved and he's only involved in five percent of the sales process instead of 99 percent of it and it came through documenting those different elements seeing them as separate systems documenting them and then you know leveraging technology and a few elements leveraging his team being able to step outside of it. And once he got it and his team got it and they saw that they could handle, you know, really 10 times as, as much uh, sales immediately as opposed to being stuck in this one area, uh, that made a huge difference. So a couple of these early wins, a couple of the early working procedures during the first 60 days, that's when the buy-in really happens and that's when uh, it gets stuck into the culture of the business. So it's a very exciting time, but it's also the time when I would say most people fail and that's why they that's why they start working with us usually is because they they don't have that momentum happen they don't have the early wins therefore they don't get the buy in and therefore they struggle i mean they just struggle uh, month after month until they they just stop 
because they never really get those early wins. So I, I think your point is exactly correct. You need to get the early wins. The team needs to see it happen, you know, reap the benefits of those systems. So how about let's, uh, let's move forward. So you're 120 days into this. Things are starting to hum along. What, what do you start working on once you're you know, a few months into this? Well, interestingly enough, uh, what do we work on? We use the same exact format as the day I got this thing, and that is we take the most dysfunctional process first and fix it. So the 80-20 rule, uh, <laughs> if we had 100 processes, the first 20 uh, were 80% of the correction of any problems, of course. Everybody gets the 80-20 rule. But we just kept pounding away and ruthlessly prioritizing what needed to be fixed. And one thing might have to do with HR. The next thing might have to do with doing something structural in, in, in the office. And the next thing might have to do with how we hired somebody. It really depended on what we felt, uh, what I felt generally. And I always run things by my managers. But what I decided as the leader was the most important thing to fix next. And we went down, down, down until all the biggest dysfunctional, costly, frustrating things had been fixed. And now, <laughs> 16 years later, uh, there's not much that gets documented. New stuff, we're, we're always innovating and so forth, that happens. But as far as the first heavy lifting, that was over a long, long time ago. How long will it take to get to that place where you've got everything documented? It depends, of course. Now, it can take a few months or it can take a year. It does depend on how hard people work on it. But from 120 days on, it was pretty much the same of, of how we did things. The 120 days gave us great confidence that we were doing what we needed to do. And I'll tell you this, Josh, and, you, and I know you'll agree with this. Once somebody gets that 120-day period, they're never going to go back to the way it was before. They will not want to go back. Why would anybody want to go back to complete dysfunction when suddenly they feel control? And everything is about control, isn't it? It's, it's unhappy people are out of control. Happy people tend to be in control of their lives, and that's what we want. That's where ultimately we want to get, to where the business is under control. That's, uh, that's great. I mean, you kept it very, very simple, and that's what I like about this approach, and that's why it works is deal in reality, use common sense, just deal with the procedure that, that's going to uh, give you the highest ROI. So is it HR? Is it payroll? Is it the financial system? And that's what you go. And that, I mean, that's what we do with the coaching clients exactly. You're right, is we get a procedure project plan, we prioritize them, we figure out who's going to write which procedure, and we come up with a system. We call it procedure for procedures so that we can hammer these things out one at a time at rapid succession so that they can actually be inserted into the business without overwhelming it, but they can immediately reap the benefits. The worst is, and you probably believe this, is the worst is when someone starts a procedure and it takes them six months to write it, and by the time they write it, business is on to another, uh, another path. And so the, really the speed is the key. I think you really you really hit on that. What would you do different, Sam, if you could do it all again? If you now now knowing what you know, how would you systemize a dysfunctional business? I would go in and I would have meetings with my staff more than I did then. Remember, I was stumbling around. I, I had this idea, but I didn't know how to do it. 
exactly how to put it together, and we stumbled through. And again, again, it, you know, I've talked about it before, but it took five years. There were some other extraneous things going on. I think that uh, if I hadn't had this extraneous, there was a lawsuit going on. I think two to three years I could have done it. Now it would take six months. And what would I do differently? I'd have some really good conversations with my staff, and I would work hard on getting my staff to be writing the working procedures for me right from the get-go. And I went for months and months writing all the working procedures myself. I would also spend more time on the strategic objective and the operating principles right from the get-go. And that's hard for people to do. They want to go right into the working procedures. I know you see that all the time, Josh. It's so important. <laughs> These are not feel-good documents. It's so important to get a direction and the rules of the road down and to get feedback. Generally speaking, I would get more feedback from my people. Uh, that's, that's what I would do differently. Uh, the other thing is, if I had to do it again, and we, of course, Josh, we've got this all down on paper. I would follow a step-by-step -step procedure of, of doing this, of accomplishing this. And my book kind of lays it out. And it, it, I wanted to keep the book to a reasonable length. And I didn't want the whole thing to be a one, two, three step to, to step 1,000 kind of a book. But I would uh, follow a set protocol in making these changes. Because I was skipping around and trying this and trying that. And the other thing I would do is I would, oh, how can I say this gently? I would remove people who were fighting me. In every group, there's somebody that's going to fight the boss. We see it all the time, just about every group. There's, there seems to be always somebody who wants to fight it. I would remove those people sooner rather than later. Another thing I would do is I would find out who in my staff really gets it, really gets this detail thing. And, and I would start, if I'm hiring people, I would start hiring people who do get the detail thing, who understand documentation, and who are literate, who can write, and who can talk, and who can carry themselves. And another thing I would do is I would hire calm people, people who are not frenetic. I tend to be frenetic, so I surround myself. And you're one of them, Josh. You're one of the most <laughs> patient guys I know. You're so patient and you're so deliberate. You've always got a smile on your face, and you're never frustrated. I would surround myself with people like that. I could go on and on. There are a lot of other things, and I know you cover that in the coaching, and, and then we do it in the consulting. But those are a few of the things I would do right at the beginning differently. That's great. Yeah, well, that's good to know. And so it doesn't have to be five years for all those listening. <laughs> it can be much quicker. And no, no, it should, happen, it should happen in a matter of months yeah. for the general small business. Any business under say 2 million, just generalizing, this is, and maybe you disagree with the numbers, Josh, but anybody under $2 million a year should have this wrapped up in four or six months. And a bigger company, it may take a little bit longer, but not a lot, mm -hmm. certainly not five years. The five years was the lawsuit and me trying to figure this whole thing out. <laughs> but that's why it took so long. Well, let me, uh, let me change gears for about complexity. So people... You know, they have the strategic objective, they have the operating principles, they're working their procedures, they have them prioritized, they're gaining some momentum. And what I like to do, and I'm hoping you agree, because we've talked about this before with your business, is I like to add on some layers of complexity, little bit by little bit. And what I do is talk about measurement systems, how to actually measure some of the things you're documenting to make sure they're getting better, and some uh, maintenance systems 
some com uh, communication systems, some uh, layers that go on top of the, the, the base working procedures to make them uh, more efficient, to make them more useful, and then to make sure you're making some progress. And so the, uh, what comes to mind right now is this uh, window framing company I'm working with, and uh, they hadn't been measuring their close rates. They hadn't been measuring their average transaction. They, just, they were kind of going by the seat of their pants. So we built some systems, but then we added the layer complexity you know, towards the end, you know, three months into the program, and we started to measure what they were doing so they could adjust and tweak their procedures. So how do, how do you feel about uh, your measurements? When did you start measuring things at Centratel? Right away. Uh, we had to come up with a procedure where we could rate our TSRs on the quality of how they handled the calls. We had to, in order to measure the quality of how a call was handled, and, and for our new people, what we do here at the call center is we take emergency calls for doctors, vets, home health, hospice, a variety of companies. We take messages, and then we pass those messages along one way or another. So we had to be able to pay our people by the quality of their work on an individual level. I'm not a big team bonus kind of a guy. I like to try to figure out a way to pay people for their individual performance. So we had to take this incredibly subjective thing called the quality of a call, and the calls are an average of 45 seconds each. How do we measure, how do we take this subjective thing called a call and turn it into an objective thing we can measure? Well, long story short, we created a new department. We sat down roundtable discussions, a half a dozen or more discussions with about six or seven of our main people, and we said, what are the elements of a good call, and it had to do with tonal quality, it had to do with did you mention the caller's name twice in the message, did you repeat the number, the phone number back to them, did you spell their name back to them to make sure it was correct. So 44 different things, and we did it right away. This was one of the very first things we did after my little uh, mini-enlightenment, <laughs> my, my mind shift, and we started measuring, and that department does nothing but measure and that's Patty, and, and, and every TSR has 12 randomly select messages that are critiqued. And uh, she goes over those messages with a fine-tooth comb. We've got two people working on it now. And we rate those calls, and then they're paid up to a 35% bonus for how, they, how their messages were on a very numerical-based system. Now, that's a complex measurement system. The rest of it, the accounting, the billing, and the rest of it's very simple. I just get a few reports from accounting. I get a few reports from our receivables person, Teresa. And uh, we don't have reports over and over and over. And we don't operate on reports. They just give us hints of where we could do some improving. And of course, we look at the financials every month. I sit down with Andy, our COO, and Cheryl, our CPA, and the three of us go through and analyze those numbers. But I don't get too caught up with the numbers, generally speaking. For the measurement of the calls and the measurement of the quality of the calls, we have to, and we do, right down to a fine-tooth comb. It's an art and a science. You don't want to get too many numbers, and you don't want to get numbers where there's not a possibility of a decision made. So if you get some numbers and under no circumstances will anything change, and they're just kind of interesting, you need to drop that report. These, these numbers have to be meaningful. They have to be the genesis of change or keeping things as they are, or, or it's a waste of time to generate the numbers at all. 
That's a great overview, and I, I like how you basically it comes down to common sense. What's the most important area of your business? You should measure that, but not everything else. And so you you probably have what about 300 or so procedures right now, Sam? I think we're at 400 last estimate. 400. So right. 400 procedures, and you're not measuring 400. You're not measuring all those procedures, right? You're just measuring the ones that make the most sense because it does take some time. It does take some effort. There's a little bit of complexity involved, and that I think is important for our listeners is that you don't need to get caught up in the measurements. You can build systems, in your case, 400 of them, and they can be working really well. But the keys, the ones that align with your strategic objective and you can make decisions with them, then measure those and measure them in detail, especially if they align with your unique selling point or, or the keys to your strategy. For me, I usually add those in midway towards the end of the program when I work with clients. And again, it just has to come down to uh, simplicity and not affecting their momentum. So if they're getting uh, getting working with their procedures, usually their gut, and I know you believe this, that your gut can usually guide you pretty well, uh, pretty far before you have to start getting all the measurements. You know, the ongoing measurement it, in, a, in a roundabout way is not really a measurement, but you could say that it is, is that you have your entire frontline staff and mid-level managers, and I know some of our people out there don't even have an employee, but let's let's pretend you do. People are looking at the procedures all the time and critiquing them and measuring them. And I think it needs to be said, Josh, that measurement is not just numbers. Measurement is this, well, it's, it comes out of this thing called bottom-up that we talk about, and that is where every staff member is contributing. So we have some pretty seriously complex procedures here, and the people who use those procedures, if something's not right, they will say something. So in the use of these procedures, in the execution of these procedures, is a form of measurement that the people that are using the procedures do. And they pass up details of what could be done to improve the procedure. And so that's definitely a form of measurement, the actual usage through the day, not just something we do once in a while. That's a great example, Sam. Yeah, People need to be uh, hyper-focused. It goes back to their strategic objective. And if people are thinking like a business owner, they don't need to read the business owner's mind anymore. It's all down on paper in the strategic objective and operating principles. So while they're working their procedures, they're going to be keeping tabs on what they do and tweaking it, refining it, making it better. And that's really the um, the bottom-up that you mentioned, that the key is it's not just the business owner's intellect, it's, it's the collective. And now there's a place to put that information in the procedures. And so that's where it gets exciting is towards day 120 and beyond that the owner can be removed from the day-to-day and can trust their team to continue to refine the procedures you know, with their leadership and make them better and better and better as the owner has more time to do CEO stuff and to step away. I think that's a great spot to, to end it, Sam. So let me recap a, f- a few a few things. First off, if you've not read the book, Work the System, go to workthesystem.com. You can download the book there. You can get the audio book. If this appeals to you and you want more information, there's a ton of great resources on the site, and a lot of them are free. So go to workthesystem.com if you want more help. There's the Academy. If you have a larger business and you want some direct on-site help, there's consulting, uh, there's a done-for-you program, and there's the coaching. You know, We do the coaching uh, several times a year. There's group coaching, there's one-on-one coaching, 
But the main thing is uh, make make a shift. Make a shift in your business. Do it yourself or get help. But this does work. This program does work. It does change businesses. And hopefully this podcast has given you some ideas and some confidence knowing this is a good direction for you to take with your business. Any Any last words, Sam? The way you get to working two hours a week and making a lot of money is to not have to be involved intimately with the business every minute. If it's going to be a real business, it's going to have to stand on its own. It's going to have to be its own entity. And you can't do it without documentation, boring but true, and you can't do it without systemizing things. And the really cool thing is when you really get this, when you make this shift that we talked about, the shift in your head and then the shift in your business, you'll never go back. You'll start to think about building other machines in the same way. They might not have anything to do with your machine that you're working on now. The machine, when I say machine, I mean business. So I've got a half a dozen businesses, and I created them and run them all in exactly the same way, and I don't spend a lot of time doing it. I spend my time writing and reading and having fun with research and development. It's a great way to go. Any big, successful business does things this way. All small, struggling businesses don't. All small, struggling businesses don't have documentation and are not systemized. It's the definition of a small, struggling business versus a big, successful organization. is process management, process control, systemization, documentation. But, Josh, thanks. This was fun. Yeah, this was fun. Uh, hopefully you all learned something and you can apply it. And I look forward to the next time, Sam. Okay. Catch you later, Josh. Bye-bye.